great to have you here this morning, excited about continuing our message series uh, titled, I Want to Believe But. Um, before I do, I want to tell you a story. A couple of years ago, I was, uh, I, I was doing an outreach event at the church that I was serving at, and then I came home, was really tired. It was Saturday afternoon. It was after 12 o'clock. So just like what any man does, I was watching Football, exactly. And I started to sit down in front of the TV and was watching some football. I noticed that there was a voice, there was a voicemail on the answering machine. I, I, I listened to the voicemail and it said, hello, Matt Rice. Uh, I, am a, I work at a gas station at Crabtree Valley Mall uh, over by Crabtree Valley, uh, over back Crabtree Valley Mall, a gas station over there. And she said, uh, are, you left your wallet here. Are you going to come get it? So I just want to let you know, here's my phone number. Please call me. I have your wallet. And I'm going, that's interesting because I carry a, I carry a money clip. <laughs> I don't have a wallet. And so she, she then, so I didn't call back. And that's about two hours later into the football game, the phone rings and I answer it. And she says, hi. And it's the same lady on the phone. Very nice, very polite. Says, hey, listen, I, I have your wallet right here. And she asked me the question, are you Matthew Rice? And I said, yeah, I am. And I said, read me the driver's license. She pulled out the driver's license. She said, Matthew Rice gave me something and it said, Holly Springs, North Carolina. Here's what I told her. I said, you've got the right name, but the wrong person. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to make sure here at Northwest Community Church that when we use the name of God, we're all talking about the same God. Because there are distorted views of God all over the place. A funny thing, I, I'm going to just go ahead and use permission, and um, um, I'll ask forgiveness later, but two years ago, I was sitting in this church, I walked up to a guy, okay, eighth grade, and I introduced myself, and I'm like, I'm Matt Rice, and he said, so am I. <laughs> I kid you not, there is a Matt Rice in our youth group, and I'm, I called my mom, and I was like, mom, I met myself at church today. I mean, is, is that crazy? I mean, you've had, you know, there's Johnson is a common name, Smith's a common name, but no, 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 we've got this, it's the same name. But, but here's what I want you to do right now. I want us to basically recognize, I want us to realize, and I want us to pay attention that there is a God in the Bible who defines himself. This book is holy, it is good, it is perfect. There is nothing wrong with it. And it defines who it is that we serve. And in the midst of this, you and I have a tendency sometimes to grab a hold of or not believe or want to believe because we're held up, we're prevented from, from truly believing because we have this distorted view of God. We're using the name of God, but we're talking about a completely different person, not the one that's in here. And I want to let you know something. It is dangerous for your participation in the mission of God. And that's why you're here. It's dangerous for your participation in the mission of God. It's dangerous for our, our lives to, to, to be in community with each other, to stir each other up to love and good deeds. My life, my role in this body is to help us together corporately serve King Jesus. And if we're not going, if we're, if, we're, if we're stuck in a distorted view of God, it's incredibly dangerous for you and I to do that together collectively, corporately, and with great power. So we want to get back and we want to uncover who it is that we serve. And that's really the purpose of the five weeks that we have together in this message series. I want to believe in God, but... And so let's just, for a second, take a little bit of review. Week number one, we talked about on-demand God. 
And we discuss, we discuss on-demand God basically is saying that God is your puppet, that he is there to give you what you want, when you want it, and how you want it. And if you don't get it, then you don't believe that he exists. But we also discuss that he's too holy to be your puppet. We also discuss that God does not exist to serve me. We exist to serve him and bring him glory because that's what it does. It brings him glory when we serve him. Last week, Jerry killed it with killjoy God. Okay, that was too easy. That was too easy. Okay, that's a sympathy laugh I know, okay? That was not like, oh, that was funny. It was, that's <laughs> sympathy. I get that. It's killjoy. There's killjoy God. And here's what we have. We have, well, I, I want to believe in God, but listen, there's too many rules. There's 613 laws and God is out there to say, do this, do this, do this. And then we rec recognize that there is a gospel of grace you can say amen. Amen. There's a gospel of grace that allows us to believe in him and come to him and serve him. And when we uncover that gospel of grace, listen, we want, we want you, we want all together, collectively, corporately to be running towards him in that gospel of grace. The laws were revealed and given so that we would recognize we are sinners and we need help. And Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. Fulfill it completely. And the, the veil has been torn, Hebrews says, from top to bottom. And we have access to God the Father, the true God of the Bible, because the veil has been torn because of Jesus. And that's who we want to serve. So kill joy, God. So we have, I want to believe, but, but this, this week we want to talk about goosebump God. Goosebump God. Well, let's, who is Goosebump God? Let's define who Goosebump God is first before we go ahead and get started. Goosebump God is defined as this, is the distorted view that God's presence is based on my feelings. God's presence is based on my feelings. So therefore, I don't believe that God exists. If you believe in Goosebump God, I don't believe that he exists if I don't feel his presence or see him do something extraordinary. And maybe we're, we're holding back from that. But here is the deal, because the Bible comes and answers this question and a lot of other questions about these distorted views of God. Goosebump, God is based off of feeling. But the gospel is based off of faith in Jesus, not feeling. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Certainly we have feelings. John eleven thirty five 35 says that Jesus wept. We know that there are emotions in the God of the universe. But we, we come and we have to realize that without faith, it is impossible to please God. You know, maybe, maybe this, this is you when you talk about goosebump God. Maybe you're, you're sitting here going, you know, I, I just don't buy into this, this God uh, because I was at summer camp. I'm going to tell you something. It was so different there than it is here. I'm going to tell you something. I, I was at summer camp, and there's this thing called the glory bowl. And I felt and saw God there, and I don't now. And I'm struggling. M maybe you're brand new to church. Maybe this is not something normal that you possibly do. And maybe you've come in and you've, you've sat around here and then there's this song that comes on and it's talking about Jesus and, and salvation and, and that he's the king of the world and all this stuff and you're talking and you're living because he lives and all these songs and all of a sudden somebody next to you raises their hand. Amen, right? 
So they raise their hand and all of a sudden, maybe they start swaying. And then all of a sudden, you're sitting here going, I don't feel that, but they feel something I don't. So I must not be doing something right because I don't feel him or I don't respond that way. Let's just be really, really, I'm, I'm, it's confession time right now and I'm gonna go ahead and tell you. I in my house do not like the Lifetime movie channel Christmas movies. Because once you have seen one, you have seen them all. Let's pray. But here's the re- here. okay, I'm just gonna tell you right now, I'm being transparent. Here's one of the reasons I cry at every one of them. It doesn't matter which one it is. They get together, they break up, then they get together and everything's great. But really, is that the story? That's the storyline, right? And so those movies, those movies, what do they do? They, they just, they, they create emotion in our lives. There's songs that we sing that create emotions in our life. There are Facebook videos of puppies that create emotions in our lives, right? That, that give us give goosebumps and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, maybe, a, maybe a, a silly way to really help us to understand that there is a God in the universe that reveals himself to us in several different ways. What I want us to do, I promise you I heard a cricket. <laughs> Not pointing out any fingers, okay? This, I, okay, keep going. Um, I think I did hear a cricket. Um, so, so basically what I want us to talk about now is I want to talk to us about three truths about the biblical God. Three truths about the biblical God. Here's the reason. We have these distorted views of God and your, your participation, as I said before, in God's unbelievable gift and passion of, of reaching people with the gospel is incredibly important that you know exactly who you serve. And there are several truths that I could uncover right here over the time that I have allotted. But I want you to make sure, I want to make sure that what we do is we just, just, let's just look at three simple truths in regard to this idea or distorted view of goosebump God. Number one, I want you to see is this. God reveals himself in many ways. God reveals himself in simply many ways. He is not auditioning for, for you. He is not on the stage of America's Got Talent looking for you to hit the golden buzzer and say, I like that. That's really good. That's extraordinary. I'm going to vote for you. That's not what he's doing. He's way too holy for that. He's way too good for that. And here's the deal. There are a lot of times that God reveals himself in ordinary ways of your life. And there are certain times that he, that he reveals himself in extraordinary ways. But we cannot have one at the expense of the other. We must have a balanced approach to both. A balanced approach. The Pharisees. Look at the Pharisees. The Pharisees in John chapter 6, verse 30. I think this verse is going to be for you on the screen. The Pharisees were overwhelmed. They're like, God, we want to see you do something so that we'll believe and really truly follow you. Here's what they said. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What sign do you do? So it's very logical to say they were waiting for him to do something so that they would really follow through with who he is. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. What are you doing? 
You, you take a look at they, they wanted to feel the presence of God. Really, they wanted goosebump God. We cannot over-sensationalize the God of the Bible. Here's a quote I want to read to you right now by a friend who writes on a blog. He's, this is what he says. By his spirit, God is alive and active in his church. Nevertheless, if you think that walking with Jesus means an endless series of miracles, burning bushes, still fall voices, warm fuzzies, and sensations of peace that passes all understanding, then you are going to be incredibly, incredibly disappointed. Sometimes you can sit there and you go, hey, you know what? You know what? God is so real in my life. He showed up. I went to the mall and I got the first parking place. Praise God. I really saw that he was really good to me because my son got in, accepted into Harvard and my, my husband got a raise today. And I'm telling you, God is ever present in my life. Praise his name. When the reality and the ordinary is, hey, listen, maybe your son got rejected at community college. You know what I'm saying? It's ordinary just stuff. And, and you didn't get the first parking spot. You got the last parking spot and a car might've hit your car or the car next to you dinged your car. But I want us to understand that there are, there are times in our life where God shows up in unbelievable ways and there are times in the ordinary where he's just as real. And if we're unbalanced, we're gonna miss both of those things. I, I, I wanna read you a quote by C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest writers of all time. And he struggled with this idea that, God, where are you? I don't, I don't feel your presence. And, and here's what he said. He said, um, he wrote in one of the most painful times of his life, he said he cried out to God he got, and he got a door slammed in his face, a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. He confessed that his heavenly silence made him doubt whether there was even a God at all. And then he said, there are no lights in the windows. It might be empty. It might be, it might be an empty house. Was it even inhabited? It seemed so once. Why is God so present a commander in our time of prosperity and so very absent in a time of trouble? Isaiah 64, one through seven says, you have hidden your face from us because they failed to see what he was doing. Asaph in Psalm 74, nine says, we are given no signs from God, no prophets are left, and none of us knows how long this will be. And Gideon, right before God used him to destroy an entire Midianite army uh, of only 300 men, he said to an angelic messenger, if the Lord is really with us, where are all his wonderful deeds like the ones our fathers recounted to us? And so here is the danger right now. The danger is, putting, is, is camping out and setting up our faith on looking for the extraordinary movements of God and just waiting for them to take place. That is a dangerous place to be. Why? Because God reveals himself in many different ways. I remember when I was growing up, I, I used to love to sled. Grew up, grew up in upstate New York. Upstate New York. Then moved to Connecticut. I was in upstate New York. I used to go sledding with my friend Craig McMullen. We went behind this, house, this housing uh, development, and there was a hill that went down like this, and then all of a sudden it was just a sharp, sharp drop. So it was like this. Okay? So we're sledding. And then trees that were growing here had fallen over this way, and the roots were protruding out into the dirt, out into the open air. And right below was a creek called Rolinsky Creek. Man, we were sledding and doing our stuff and just hanging out and having a great time. And all of a sudden, I told you I'm clumsy. 
I, I've, I tripped, I fell, and I slid down the bank, and all of a sudden I rolled over, and I stopped. And I looked, and I heard running water below me, and I was about eight feet above Relinsky Creek, okay? There were two roots that came out like this out of the, out of the, um, uh, out of the dirt from a tree that had fallen over. And there were two roots that went this way. It made a basket. And I'm sitting here sliding down this road, sliding down this, this hill, rolling over, and I just stopped. And I looked around me, and I'm like, there's running water below me, and I'm sitting in this basket. I got to tell you this right now. I remember it like it happened yesterday. Because why? I felt God's presence in protecting me. And I know that if I gave you the chance, you would sit there and say, there's times in my life where I've had the same thing. I went to Ridgecrest um, centrifuge camp at Ridgecrest in Ridgecrest, North Carolina as a 17-year-old rising senior. I had moved to Connecticut. I was getting ready to graduate high school. And it was right before my senior year. And so we went down with my church, my small church of 60 people. The youth group was two, myself and another person. We went down and we joined up with another youth group and God just spoke to my heart like happens in camp. And I remember being on a bridge, I know where that bridge is, at Ridgecrest Conference Center, sitting on that bridge and just pleading and praying with God. I said, God, I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere, I'll be anything you want me to be. That presence of God in my life showed up in an extraordinary way and really largely shaped who I am today, that moment. Then over the last week, I would say that those moments, in my opinion, are extraordinary moments of God's presence. And just this week, I'll just go this week. Um, you, you know what's going on. We're helping out with my father-in-law and things like that. And uh, I go to the mailbox and there's a card in the mailbox. Open it up. Just want to let you know I love you and I'm praying for your family. And I can't even count the amount of text messages and emails of prayer for and from God, for our family, from God's people. And I would say this, in the ordinary rhythms of our life, you showed up. And I have sensed God's presence just as real as if it was a camp experience. And I want to thank you for it. It was so real. Because I don't want us to get so stuck that God, you are this, you are unbelievable, you're so big, and then confine him to how he's going to reveal himself to us. We can't do that because he's too big and too holy. And we cannot put him in a box. I heard one guy say one, guy say one time, do you know what your problem is? You have a wallet-sized picture of the God that you serve. He's too small. Another thing I want you to see, number two, is God is ready and able to forgive sins. God is ready and able to forgive sins. And you're probably saying, well, what, is, what does that have to do with goosebump God? Or here it is. When we define goosebump God as someone you're waiting to feel his presence and know that he is real, um, therefore your following of him is conditional, number one. And, and that is, that's a sin in and, in and of itself. But, but second thing, I, I think more importantly, as one of your pastors, I, I just, I need to say this to you, and I think it's really important for me to say it, is that maybe you don't feel or sense the presence of God because there is unconfessed sin in your heart and your life. And as I'm sitting here and I'm preparing this message and I'm looking at this and I'm going, whoa, 
I'm begging. I don't even know what it is or what it could be, but I'm sitting here begging and I'm just sitting there. Listen, God, it could be this. And I'm praying for whoever is stuck in this, that God, you'd give them freedom and you would set them free. And that Sunday morning, that God, that they would understand that you are real, that you are present in the ordinary and the extraordinary, and that you would free them from the sin. I'm begging him to do that. But again, maybe you don't feel his presence because of unconfessed sin in your heart. And here's the good news about it. There's a God in heaven who says this. If you, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, what took place in Matthew that's recorded in the book of Matthew is there's a group of people that were exposed to the things of God. They were exposed to the wooing of God to come to faith in him. And what had taken place is they'd hardened their hearts because of a lack of repentance and other things. I want to read you this verse in Matthew 13, 14 through 15. It says, you will indeed hear, but never understand it. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Here is the good news. God is ready to forgive you of your sins. I'm begging you, and I'm pleading with you. Do not harden your heart. Your participation in the gospel, your participation in understanding the gospel, your understanding of the true God of this book and not a distorted view of God is, is on the line when sin separates us from a holy God. And here's the good news. Proverbs 28, 13 says this. I'll give you sort of um, a, a summary of that verse right now. It says, he who covers his sin, God will uncover it also says, but he who uncovers his sin, which means confession, repentance, God will cover. And here's what I'm encouraging you to do right now. You're sitting here going like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do this. I'm telling you right now as a warning to you and to your, and to your commitment to Lord Jesus and to your life in the gospel. I'm telling you right now, if you cover it up, God has given you a warning. He will, he will, he will uncover it. And that is not going to be a fun place to be for any of us. But here's what he is, because he's generous and because he's good. People always look at Bill Gates, he's the most generous person in the world, and Warren Buffett, they're generous. Here is a generous God in the world who says, hey, listen, 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 I want to tell you something. If you uncover your sin, I'm going to do something. I'm going to cover it up by the blood of Jesus. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to do it forever who calls on the name of Jesus. Because he's faithful and just to forgive us the sins and cleanse us from what? What's that three-letter word? All unrighteousness. That's what he does because that's who he is. So yeah, we can sit there and go, oh my gosh, my sin. Our shoulders are shrunk. Our head goes down. But then we take a look at the God of the Bible and says, hey, I love you and I want to forgive you. And guess what? I can forgive you and I can give you redemption and I can, I, I can give you victory and I can allow you not to be a slave to sin anymore. And that's what I want to do for you. So please, I beg you, please understand that God is ready and willing to forgive our sins. All of them. All of them. Don't run away, run to. So if there's a question in your heart, there's a question in your heart, why don't I feel him? Then I would ask you this week, 
this afternoon. God, is there unconfessed sin in my heart and in my life? And what do I need to do to make it right and deal with it? That's what I would, that's what I'd encourage you to do. Encourage us to do. Number three, God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose for your life. I want you to see in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. You hold your place there. I'll get to that in just a second. But here's what my, my, thought, are, my thought is. When we, when we have a distorted view of God, we lose sight of why we're here and what we're here to do. And I, I want to remind you that, the God has a, that God has a purpose for our life. And here's what happens. When we're stuck on asking God to perform for us and just do these things so that we might believe, then what we're not doing is we're not participating in the mission he left us here to do. So you are not doing, you're not being who God called you to be. And that, again, is just, uh, it's sinful. And we must recognize it. If we're going to wait for goosebump God to go all in, then I'm going to tell you right now, we are all going to be incredibly, incredibly disappointed. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says this, for we are, I want you to say it, his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so here it is right now, just a real Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I call this the born identity. I thought that was funny. All right, another sympathy laugh. Okay. So the, the chapters three is you're dead in trespasses and sins. You're a sinner. You're following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. And he says, that's who you are. That's who you were born. You are born separated from God of creation. Your sin needs to be dealt with. Okay, your, your sin needs to be dealt with. And that's who we are. And then all of a sudden it comes down to verse 10, verse four. It says, but God, I call this the reborn supremacy. <laughs> okay. okay, all right. All right, now you're with me. And so then we come down, we say the reborn supremacy, and then all of a sudden we see the supreme God of the universe steps in. It's by grace that we are saved, not any works of ourselves. It is by him, through him, and for him. Praise God. Okay? And that's, that's where we are. And that's, that's where, so we were dead, then he made us alive, and then this beautiful, beautiful verse in chapter 10, which is, are you ready? The born ultimatum. <laughs> okay. I just gave you two sermons in one. Okay, so this is the born ultimatum here. You have an ultimatum. Here's what he says. He says, for we are his workmanship. My question is, who are you serving right now? Not who are you professing, but who are you serving? Because you can profess God, but you might be serving something very different. And that's not what I want for your life. That's not what I want for our church. That's not what I want for our community. That's not what I want for your kids. And so he says, we are his workmanship, that word workmanship, the, the Greek word that's transla translated, it's actually the word poem, okay? It's the word poem. So here's what happens. When we serve God and do the works that he prepared in advance for us to do and walk in them, it is like a sweet melodic song to the God of creation, not the distorted God that, that is out there, but the true God of the Bible, it's sweet. The Bible says it's sweet-smelling incense to you, O Lord. So, so here, here's what I want us to do is I want us to understand how we're walking, why we're walking, and who we're walking for. And when we, we sit there and we take a look at Goosebump God, we're just sitting there, we're spectating, and we're saying, God, just do this and do this and do this so they know you're real and I can feel you. When he shows up in many different ways in your life and mine, 
this uh, past weekend, I, I wasn't able to go to uh, man night. Um, I didn't go to man night. And I chose not to go with talking to my wife. Um, many of you know that I've got my mentor, Phil Qualls, living in my home. And for just going through some medical issues, and we're just praying that God would do some great things and continuing to hold out that he'll do just that. And so he's, he's been a little confused on the month, the day, and the year. But there's one thing he's very, very, very firm on. And that is Friday night at 6 o'clock, the East Carolina fraternity that he was a part of was gathering in Asheboro, North Carolina at Pinewood Country Club. And he reminded me of that for about two and a half weeks. So my wife and I, we looked at each other and said, We're I'm taking it. I said, Dana, it's a fraternity gathering, so what, you know, it's, that's my job. So it's East Carolina, man. I went in the closet, put on a purple shirt, got Phil. He got a purple shirt, man. It's go, go pirates. Arr. You know, I mean, we, I was all in, you know. So um, uh, we got ready to go. And, and, he, and here's, here's what I think. I'm just, I'm just sharing you my heart. Here's what I think. My father-in-law was, um, he came to be a pastor for 27 years at Apex Baptist Church. But he's been a pastor for a long time. But before that, he had some college experiences at East Carolina that were not very Christian. And here's what he's told me my whole life. He said, I feel bad about how the time I wasted in not telling those fraternity brothers about Jesus. And I want more than anything an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. So in 2006, I'm going backwards, hang with me. I was going to top soul to preach at a church, and he said, hey, one of my fraternity brothers is down there. Here's his address. I want you to go knock on his door and tell him about Jesus. So I did. I said, hey, Phil asked me to come. I'm preaching tomorrow at church. I'd love to tell you, just share with you something that's really impacted my life and got to share. So in comes Friday night. We got in there and hadn't, haven't seen a lot of people in 50 years. He hadn't. I just saw him shuffling his feet, standing up. I saw people come up to him. I saw him praise the Lord. And I got to tell you why. I'm going to read it to you. Because there is a belief in that man that says we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And it was beautiful to see Somebody came up to me off to the side and said, hey, I want to talk to you. I'm praying for you. Man, I don't know. I don't know what came over me. I don't know. It was an extraordinary moment, but I just went for it and told him about Jesus. I said, this man wanted to be here so that hearts and lives would be changed. So I'm not sorry I missed man night because I got to see something really cool. I got to see something really cool. And here's where we are. Matt Chandler, a pastor in Texas, helped me see what I'm getting ready to share with you. Here's where we are. God reveals himself in ordinary ways and extraordinary ways. And what we have to, we have to live in the balance of embracing the extraordinary and praying for breakthroughs of extraordinary moments. We have to. Tomorrow is Monday, and do you know what tomorrow is going to be? Monday. It's ordinary. It's Monday. What's today? 
Sunday. But you know, here's, here's what I'm praying and here's what I'm asking is that I ask God that even though that this was just another Sunday that we gather at Northwest Community Church, I ask God and I begged God that this would be something different in some of your lives. I asked it to be an extraordinary movement, whether the songs, the message, the community, or whatever it is, I asked it to be something extraordinary. And that is completely up to him because he's God and I'm not because I'm a bad one. We all are. So I want to embrace the ordinary. I want to pray for the breakthroughs. I know that some of you are battling sicknesses and whatever the case might be. I mean, I had the honest privilege of gathering with with Paul Rem, my friend, who just praying over him of our sickness. I had the beautiful honor of Wednesday night praying over the lose at their house and asking God to supernaturally heal her um, uh, of a sickness that she's do- dealing with and going through. And I am asking and I am begging and I am expecting God to do just that, but I don't want that happening or not happening to distract me from God showing up in the ordinary. And I don't want you to do the same thing either because you're gonna be completely out of balance. And our participation in the greatest mission in the world will be at stake. If we're over here and we still stay in the ordinary and we don't pray for God to do supernatural things, then what's going to happen to you? I'm just going to tell you right now, you're going to be old and crusty. (laughs) You're just going to be a crusty person because you're just sitting here going, hey, uh, time to make the donuts. If you're over 45, you know what I'm talking about. It's just rote rememorization and it's boring when you're over here, over here just Um, I'm ordinary, ordinary. God doesn't do that anymore. He does this here and let's do that. And then if you stay over here, where is the goosebumps? I'm waiting for God to perform for me. He's there to audition for my approval. I want to feel him. I want to do this. Then what's going to happen is you're going to redefine the God of the universe. And that is incredibly dangerous because that's not who he is. And so at the end of the day, what do we do? Say, God, give me patience to understand the grace that you give me in the ordinary. Let me pray and appreciate when I have a massive breakthrough in my life. But don't don't let it distract me or get me out of balance. So God, let me see you in just a Monday. And let me appreciate the things that I can see and maybe even appreciate the things I don't see. And then be expecting for him to show up and show off his glory because he can. God is not goosebump God. He is too holy to be auditioning for us to feel him. Let's have balance. He reveals himself in many ways. He forgives sins. He has a purpose for your life. My prayer today is that today would be used in an extraordinary and an ordinary way for you to serve unashamedly the God of this great book. I love you so much. Let's pray. God, thank you for the privilege of being the pastor to these people. Being a pastor at this church is a joy and an honor, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful for where you speak to us in the ordinary rhythms of life, and Lord, you have shown up and shown off in the extraordinary ways, and I want to thank you for that as well. Let us have balance in our life. Let us sing to you. Let us rejoice in you. If we so choose, let us wave our hands, but let us worship you in spirit and in truth. Use this day to shape us to follow hard after you. 
You deserve it. In Jesus' name, amen.